Acts chapter 4. We will be dealing with the first 23 verses of the chapter. Remember last time we um, dealt with Peter's sermon after he healed uh, the lame man. And now we're going to deal with... um, we're going to deal with his uh, the aftermath of this healing, um, because kind of like what the uh, Pharisees said, um, you when Jesus was alive, uh, they they people did not like it when uh, the uh, when the disciples or Jesus' followers, stole um, popularity from them. And so you'll notice that it's very motivated by that because the healing of the lame man is not something that can be disputed as we will read later on in the passage. So I have um, several um, specific points today. And so if you're taking notes... I have simply called this message, Healing of the Lame Man, The Aftermath. Um, It's kind of like a sequel to a blockbuster, if you will. Um, And the first point that I want to bring out is a pointed question. Do you ever notice, especially in uh, the media circles, that often... uh, people that are conservative and known for their conservative views will be asked a question and everybody around them knows the answer to the question. But the whole point of the question is to get them on record stating what they already know so then they can blast them about it. I think um, very particularly about two different instances. One was when um, when Uh, Dan Cathy of Chick-fil-A was asked about his beliefs about marriage and he simply stated that he believed and his family believed that marriage was between one man and one woman. And they've never been discriminatory. Um, They've uh, always served other people. Um, If you're homosexual, they're still going to give you their best chicken sandwiches Uh, It's not about discriminating against them. Um, They have a rule that they're closed on Sundays, um, but they open on Sundays in emergencies and often feed thousands of people for free because that is the way that they believe that they need to reach their community. And yet, someone answering a question for which many people already knew the answer Um, can get them blasted in the media. A similar thing happened to Kirk Cameron. Uh, He was on an interview. Um, I forget who did the interview, but they asked him what he thought about um, homosexuality. And again, he answered in the biblical uh, point of view that it is not natural that God's plan was for one man, for one woman, for a lifetime. And again, he was blasted. But... Nobody, if they've known anything about Kirk Cameron for the last 20 years, 
nobody should be surprised that that is an answer that he gave. And I feel like that is the context, a similar context, of what we're going to read here. Because the Pharisees are going to ask a question for which I believe they already knew the answer. But they wanted to hear it from the mouths of Peter and John. So let's begin reading at Acts chapter 4, verse 1, and read down through verse 7. And as they spoke unto the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them that heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas and John, and Alexander, and as many were of the, of the kindred, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked them, By what power, or by what name, have you done this? Now keep in mind that these are the same people that just a few weeks ago crucified the Lord of life and they thought they were done with this Jesus of Nazareth. And now they're asking this question, by whose name have you done this? And they know that Peter was with uh, Jesus even though he denied it three times. Everybody, pretty much everybody who was there knew that he was with Jesus. And of course we know the story of that, how after the third time the cock crew, just as Jesus said, Peter fled and wept bitterly. So I believe they know the answer to this question. But they want Peter to go on record. And perhaps, perhaps they were testing his mettle. Perhaps they were wondering if this was the same Peter that we saw in the end of the Gospels who cowered when the opportunity was given to acknowledge Jesus. And I find it interesting that the second verse, the second verse of this chapter says, being grieved, they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now you'll notice as we continue to go through the book of Acts, there's never a time when the Pharisees and the religious leaders come to the people and they say, the resurrection didn't happen. As a matter of fact, I believe many of them intellectually believe that it did happen because what happened when the resurrection happened? The guards came and basically said, the resurrection is real. It happened. And what was said? It, said, it was said by the Jewish leaders, we will... Um, Persuade Pilate, and no harm will come to you, but tell people that the disciples came and stole the body. And they gave them money, and it was said in that passage in Matthew, so it is reported to this day. And so it wasn't about him not rising from the dead. They never deny the resurrection. Instead, what they do is they try to avoid people talking about what is really true. And really, when you think about it, that's what they're doing here. Because the lame man was obviously lame in chapter 3, which we've already been through. 
It was not a charlatan's trick. People carried him daily to beg at the uh, temple gate called Beautiful. Daily they carried him there. This was not a plan. This was not a friend of Peter's who said, I'll, I'll play a lame man, and then when you heal me, you can get a following. Um, so I just, uh, I, I, I just, I, I think that it's so important to realize. So our first point is a pointed question. Again, they say in the court of law for a lawyer never to ask a question that they don't know the answer to. Um, they ask questions to get people to cop to answers that they already know. And so I believe that is what, what is happening here. And um, it, it's interesting... And, and you can see their grief, some of the reason for their grief in verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So you have 5,000 men, and if they had women and children, it could potentially be 10,000, or even more if there were multiple children. Um, so... You're talking about a lot of people that were already being persuaded to believe Jesus and to realize that the, they, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, were not the ultimate authority. And uh, so let's look at, by way of cross-reference before we move on, 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17. And we'll see a little bit more. Um, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ make it manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. So this passage talks about two different types of people. The people that receive the word of God, the people that become righteous as a result of receiving the word of God, and the people that reject it. And Paul is saying, for those that accept the word of God, we are a sweet savor. People want to hear from us. But for those that aren't we are as death because the carnal mind does not perceive the things of God and so when the carnal mind sees us talking about the way to live a proper life is through the power of God and God can help you reject your sinful lifestyles they see us as just being um, religious zealots we don't care about them. 
Yesterday I had the privilege of being a part of a ministry event whereby um, a group of ministry leaders and godly Christian um, business leaders decided that they had a burden for people to see the movie Unplanned, which is the story of how Abby Johnson, a one-time director of Planned Parenthood, um, after she saw an ultrasound-guided abortion, she left Planned Parenthood shortly after becoming Planned Parenthood's Employee of the Year. And she had gone through so much, she had seen the baby parts on the table. She had, had participated um, on the sidelines in 22,000 abortions. But that day when she saw that ultrasound-guided abortion and saw the baby actually fighting the abortion instruments, she realized that she had to leave. And today she leads an organization called And Then There Were None, whose purpose is to help those who work in abortion clinics leave the industry. Because it can be a difficult thing. Abby was blacklisted, you know, one of, her, one of the things her boss says to her when she leaves is, congratulations, you've just made an enemy of the most powerful organization in the country. And Abby knew she had to do that. The other miracle that happened was she and her husband had one child. She said, we're one and done. But today she realizes the treasure of children and they're expecting their eighth child. Because she realizes that children are not just a commodity, but they are a blessing from the Almighty. But I bring that up to say that um, I was a part of this ministry event and over 2,000 people saw this film because these business leaders put it in their minds and hearts that they needed to pay for this opportunity for people to see the film. and I believe lives were changed. I was hearing testimony after testimony about how people went in thinking one thing and came out thinking another. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity. So the power of God is real. And as I said before, that the physical healings that um, God does are miraculous they're amazing but in every case of physical healing you see spiritual manifestation take place and that's what you see when you see these 5,000 people um, uh, take the opportunity to believe in Jesus so now we're going to see how Peter responds is he going to run in power again is he going to say I don't know the man um Instead, so we have the point in question. Now we're going to hear the direct answer. A direct answer. Acts 4, 8 to 12. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent, impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
Even by him does this man stand before you whole. This is the stone set at not of the builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So this name, the one that they thought to snuff out, the one they thought they were done with, they were not because he was powerful. He was powerful enough to rise from the dead. And then Peter lays it all on the line. He says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way. It didn't matter how educated the religious leaders were. It didn't matter how much they, quote-unquote, knew their Bible. Um, I think I've told this story before, but it bears repeating about this man who was in Israel. And he was a preacher, and he was touring Israel, and he visited this scribe who was there, whose sole job, basically, is to transcribe the Old Testament. And apparently when he was there, he was working on the Psalms, and um, he talked to the guy, and he said, he said, those are powerful words that you're transcribing. And after talking to the guy for a while, he realized, or the guy told him, he said, actually, I'm an atheist. So he's a, he's a scribe, he's someone who is spending time with the Word of God every day, and yet he's an atheist. Why? Because the God of this world has blinded him. Because it's not enough to know the Word of God, the words of God, you have to know the Word of God. We read earlier today, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And without that Word, there's no enlightenment to this word. It's just words if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter shows that because it says, then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, this isn't the same Peter that was in the end of Luke when Jesus looked him in the eye and had eyes full of sorrow for him and all Peter could do was run away and hide and weep bitterly. This isn't the same Peter. Why? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit of God. God made a dead person alive. And um, it's just amazing how God works. Um, can we look at Luke 21, 14, and 15. Luke 21, 14, and 15. Therefore, settle in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom which all 
not be able to con con contradict or resist. Okay. So you notice that although I'm sure that they were mad, again, grieved was a word that was used earlier in the passage, they never contradict Peter. And Peter being filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, I believe that the Holy Ghost indwells someone at the time of conversion. I believe that 100%. But I also believe that there are times when the Holy Ghost fills us for a specific time to deliver a specific message. There have been many times where I preach a message and then I feel extremely drained because I know that the power of God has been used through me during that time in a special way that I couldn't manifest myself. Because the power of God is what takes my words or your words, if it's you, and gives them strength to change other people. Because it's not what I say that's important, it's what God says is important. And I just wanted to bring this passage up because, remember, Jesus said this, don't worry about what you'll say. Peter wasn't worrying about what he said, what he was going to say. But when the Holy Spirit filled Peter, all he could say is, be it known unto you that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man stands before you all. And then he said, neither is there salvation in any other but the name of Jesus. You know, in our culture today, people say God bless you all the time. It's totally acceptable to say God bless you. Usually the president ends his addresses by saying God bless you. And God bless the United States of America. And that, that's a great thing to say, and that's a great thing to wish for. But I still remember back in 2000 when Governor George W. Bush was running for president, and they asked him in the debate, who is the most influential person in your life? And he said, Jesus Christ, because he changed my heart. Now, you may not agree with everything George Bush stood for, and I didn't agree with everything either. But I know that if God changed George Bush's heart, then he's my brother in the Lord. And that took a lot of courage, and he took a lot of flack for making that statement. We're going to take flack when we speak the truth. And I'm not sure... Whether he prepped that answer ahead of time or not, all I know is that when the time comes for us to testify, to give an answer to people, God will give us the strength. And that's what happened here with Peter. He lays it all on the line. He says, there's no other way. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. I remember a few years back, there was a little bit of controversy because there was a um, quarterback by the name of Jake Plummer 
I forget exactly why he was responding to this, but he, in an interview, um, I think he was with, um, uh, I forget, I think he was with the Chicago Bears at the time. And in an interview, for some reason, the topic of Tim Tebow came up. And Jake Plummer said, Tim Tebow talks about Jesus too much. And Tim Tebow responded, he said, if you were married to the love of your life, would you just tell her once that you loved her? Or would you tell her every day? And he said, that's the relationship I have with Jesus. I love him more than anything else or anyone else. And so I'm going to tell him every day and testify for him whenever I get the chance because that's what love does. That's what love does. Peter has been redeemed by God and so he is testifying of that. He gives a direct answer. He doesn't skirt the truth. He doesn't give a vague answer. It's interesting. They didn't ask him, did you do this through Jesus? They weren't looking for a yes or no question. I think it's important for us when we, when we engage other people in the gospel that we don't ask yes or no questions. Jesus was great at asking questions that drew people out, that made them answer in long form. And that's what we need to do as we engage in the culture around us. And that's what Peter did here. He gave a direct answer to a pointed question. He knew what their reaction would be, or at least I think he had a guess, because he'd already spent a night in prison because of it. So we've now looked at a pointed question by whose name have you done this? A direct answer. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Who you crucified, but is now risen. And then the third point, an unreasonable demand. An unreasonable demand. It's interesting that Peter himself will later write in one of his epistles, um, as, as much as you can, obey every ordinance. He says, obey every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. But Peter himself will now um, respond to an unreasonable demand. Verse 13 um, uh, Acts 4 verses 13 to 17 now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus and beholding the man which was healed standing with them they could not say anything against it remember what we just read you'll be able to testify in a way that no one will be able to contradict. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For, they, for indeed, a notable miracle had been done by them. For that a notable miracle had been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. 
Again, there it is. Twice now in this passage we've seen they can't say anything against it. They can't deny it. But that it spread no further among the people. Let us straightly threaten them, threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Okay, so let me get this straight, guys. You've witnessed miracle after miracle from Jesus. He dies, you think you're done with him. Now you've witnessed this miracle that you can't say anything against, and you're going to tell them not to say anything in this name again so that it spreads no further? The wildfire has already started. You can't stop it. This is the power of God. My prayer, as I was referencing earlier, is that the results that we saw yesterday from this unplanned event will spread like wildfire through the Grand Rapids area and beyond. We need to restore our respect for life in our culture. Why? Because we're made in the image of God. Because Jesus said, I'm come to give you life, and life more abundant. And he didn't say, I'm come to give you life someday more abundant. He said, I'm come to give you life now more abundant. And how can we embrace a more abundant life when we don't even value human life down here? We can't. So they think they're going to stop the spread of the gospel that has just been declared to them again. Remember, Peter declared the gospel in Acts chapter 2 as well. So he's not going to shut up anytime soon. Can we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31? When I was looking at this passage yesterday, I was thinking, well, maybe I can have it be a smaller section, but it's so powerful that I think we need to read the whole thing. 1 Corinthians 1. 26 to 31. If someone could read that for me. But consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Even things that are not bring to nothing Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who came to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So, this whole passage is talking about how God's economy is different than ours. Remember, when Jesus came into the world, he didn't come in a palace to print with princes waiting, with leaders just jumping at the bed to come see him and worship him and acknowledge him as the Lord that he was. He came to shepherds. He came to a poor couple 
who wasn't much in the eyes of society. He was born in a manger. And even after he was born, so few people knew what had happened that night. Although the shepherds spread the news abroad, it says they told everyone because it was that amazing of news. And um, I often wonder about God's selective news telling, but I'm constantly reminded that God went to those who were receptive. Remember I, I said earlier in the breaking of bread that God um, at certain times it says that Jesus did not heal in this region because the hearts of men were against him, because they did not believe. And no one had to tell Jesus the heart of men because he knew the hearts of men. And he also said, cast not your pearls before swine. So if that was his advice to us, surely he took it himself. This is why when he rose from the dead, he did not appear before Pilate and say, guess what, I'm back. He didn't appear before Caiaphas and say, you tried to kill me, but here I am. No, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. And she thought he was the gardener. And he simply said her name, Mary. And at that moment she knew that it was her Lord. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to a group of 500. And he appeared to the followers on the road to Emmaus who were so discouraged and distraught. And I, I just think it's so humorous that, that they, they said, have you not heard of all these things that have occurred in the last few days and instead of saying you you foolish people he says what things he wants to know from them what they are referring to again he's asking good questions because he wants to hear a comprehensive answer and then after they answer then he proceeds to share all things concerning himself from the scriptures how amazing would that have been to be on that road and hear that? And someday, we're going to have a similar experience because he's going to spend eternity telling us all things about himself. Or perhaps we'll know it in an instant because the Bible says we will, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And it says that we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. See, we see him through a, a glass darkly, Paul says. But then, then and only then, face to face. So, we've looked at three things so far. A pointed question, Acts 4, 1 to 7. A direct answer, Acts 4, 8 to 12. An unreasonable demand. Acts 4, 13 to 17. And now we will end with a righteous refusal. 
Remember, we as Christians are called to obey the laws of our land. But in cases where the laws of the land go against the laws of God, our responsibility is to the law of God. Our responsibility is to do the right thing, even if society says it's wrong. And Jesus said this, Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. We do not want to be lumped into that group. So now we will see a righteous refusal. Acts 4, 18 to 23. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was about 40 years old on whom the miracle was being showed. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. So they tell them not to teach or preach in the name. And they said, if it's right to... Um, to follow you over um, God, then I guess you're going to have to judge that and punish us accordingly. But we must um, share the things that we have seen and heard. That's all we can do. And that's what I think is, is so powerful about this movie, Unplanned, which I encourage you to go see, by the way. Is that this isn't some fictional pro-life movie that was made by a well-meaning pro-life individual who just wanted people to choose life. This is a story of someone whose life was dramatically changed from one who thought that abortion was supporting women to one that realized that abortion is killing women. That it's wrong, that it's a stench in our society. Because you can argue with any number of things. You can have theological discussions until the cows come home and argue um, and, and debate on any number of issues. But what you cannot debate is the personal story of how God changed a life. The most important thing I can share with you today is that there was a time as a teenager when I was a bitter man. I already knew I was going to heaven, but I was a bitter man. But God reached down and he gave me the strength to stop being bitter and to start being better. To stop making excuses and to start serving. To stop saying I can't and start saying God can. That's the testimony of my life. 
And you can debate me on any number of things, but you can't debate me on the fact that once I was lost, and now I'm found. Once I was blind, and now I see. It's a true, undebatable fact. Because the man I was is not the man that I am. And the man that I am is not the man that I will be. Because that's the power of God. Can we look really quickly at Luke 19, 37 to 40? Luke 19, 37 to 40. someone has that, if they could go ahead and read it. <clears throat> then as he was now drawing near the ascent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice. For all the way works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Being Palm Sunday, I thought it would be fitting to end with this passage. Again, I mean, this, this is kind of a, re a repeat of that passage because the Pharisees again are saying, Be silent! And Jesus says, if, the, if, the, if these were silent, even the very stones would cry out. You can't stop the truth from going forth. Even in countries with immense persecution, the gospel is going forth. God is reaching Muslims in some other countries at, at exciting rates. Because the power of Christ will not be denied. They, they've tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace, and what happened? Jesus came down and walked with them. And they went out of that fiery furnace, and their clothes didn't smell like smoke, and their hair was not singed. And the king said, we need to worship the one true God of Israel. Because that's the power of God. And no matter how many times they said to Jesus or his disciples, to be silent about the truth. The truth still went forth. Chuck Colson said that the resur the greatest one of the greatest proofs of the resurrection is the Watergate scandal. Because he said the disciples were twelve men. Of course, that would include Mathis. That continued to proclaim the gospel as truth even when they were threatened with death. And 11 of them did die martyrs' deaths. He said, but 20 guys who were trying to keep the Watergate scandal a secret couldn't hold their story together for a year. And of course we know that Chuck Colson went to prison as a part of that scandal and then later founded Prison Fellowship and did many great things out of his mess came a message. And that message is, what well, my message is today, that God can change 
the light. And that to be born again is to be passed from death to life. If you have not been born again today, I encourage you that today be the day of salvation. Paul wrote, now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. All we know is that with God we can face tomorrow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story in Acts chapter 4. We thank you that through your Holy Spirit, Peter was able to stay the course, to be faithful to you. We thank you for the encouragement that this gives us because as with Peter, so with us, that we often do impetuous things, say things we don't mean, talk about things we don't understand. But we thank you for being gracious and giving us the Holy Spirit and guiding us into all truth. And now I ask you that you let your peace go with this group of people here today. Peace not as the world gives, but peace as only you can give. A peace that passes all understanding. You said, in the world you will have tribulation, but for us to be of good cheer, you have overcome the world. Now give us safety and peace as we part ways and bring us back together again in your will. In Jesus' name, amen.